Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, good evening, everybody. How you doing? How was your weekend? Hopefully super, super restful. Mine wasn't. <laughs> Pretty much worked all week, all weekend, uh, hitting the ground running. I took about two weeks off for vacation. I'm trying to do that about every couple months or so. I need to do that. I need to, uh, what do they say? Refill the well, you know, put more gas back in your engine. You get depleted. Um, so I hope you're all finding time off. And if not, I hope you're building rest and pleasure and self-care into your day. Again, reminding you guys, I'm going to keep doing this until y'all got it burned into your brains or maybe leave a little note or sticky for yourself. I've talked about how I do that. It's been helpful. I put stickies on different areas that remind me of things I want to kind of, you know, prioritize center in my life. And one of them is every single day we need to be doing a form of self-care and that will include rest, whether that's a walk, a nap, turning off all your apps, turning your phone off, not being available, going in a different room. And we're also bringing in joy and pleasure. Sometimes that's through eating something. Yes. Eat that pint of Ben and Jerry's, put that smile on your face. It's okay to do whatever you need to do to cope with difficult feelings. There's nothing wrong with eating your feelings or working out because of your feelings or napping because of your feelings or taking a bath because of your feelings. It's called coping mechanisms. We are not built to tolerate everything that happens in the world. There's so much going on. Let's just recap some of it, right? We still have Black Lives Matters movement happening because we still haven't nailed that. We still have a pandemic going on, right? Vaccines are rolling out, but we still have time. Got political issues happening around the world and so many other things to deal with. So yeah, we do not always have the internal resources to cope with everything that's happening outside of us. And it's okay to lean on things, lean on other people. We need to get away from toxic individualism. The idea that you should be able to handle everything on your own. No, turn to your community, turn to loved ones. We do nothing on our own and it's okay to need other people. We need other people in terms of psychology. Uh, our biology requires other people. Our brains are a social organ and just the general social construct of our lives. <clears throat> so reach out to people, reach out to things, play those video games, nap, masturbate, have sex, go shopping, eat stuff, whatever you need to do to regulate yourself, I'm on board with because mental health first. And we cannot cope on our own without anything. That is not the goal of mental health is to be able to just sit there on your couch and tolerate everything that's going on around you. It's okay to need support things around you. I use coffee every day. I need that caffeinated boost to deal with the capitalist system that I have to participate in. I have to work hours to pay my bills and my doctoral program loans. You know, So I need caffeine to help me participate in a system that isn't built to care for me, right? 
I have to work longer and harder like a lot of us than maybe we're comfortable or willing to. Our lives are centered in work and we will need things like caffeine and other forms of coping to bring joy and pleasure into our lives or to get through the day as we try to dismantle these problematic systems that trap us and don't allow us to live lives full of joy and meaning, which is what it should be about. We've talked about this before. There's countries like Bhutan where they have a general happiness index where they care and prioritize the happiness of the people living there. They don't just think about profits. In America, we live in a capitalist system where all we, all we care about is money and profits in the economy way before the lives and care of individuals. And we work jobs that often only care about productivity and profit. They don't care about us individually, right? So we have to find coping mechanisms. We have to build in joy and pleasure. We have to do that work as we try to change the system until we get to a place where we can work four-day work weeks, right? And it's truly work-life balance. True work-life balance is not working five or more days and having barely any time off. We misuse that concept, right? And until we have a government that helps us get our needs met with free healthcare and education and resources, basic needs are still not met. We have a right as a human to get those met. We shouldn't have to work to get healthcare. That's crap. We shouldn't have to work to have access to food and shelter. Just by being a human, that should be something that's given to all of us. So as we're working on changing America, that's got to be part of it. Because remember, we don't need to focus on healing. We need to focus on change. Healing means we stay stuck. Healing means, ah, everything's cool as it is. We just have to work on, you know, rejuvenating our thoughts and our processes and grounding ourselves in resilience. No, forget that. We have to change the actual system. And I'm happier Biden and Kamala are coming in, uh, Harris and Biden, but please do not think that that's a cure-all. <laughs> There's so much work that still needs to be done. They are the worst case scenario or the better case scenario, excuse me. They'll do better and more for us than Trump would have and had, but it's not a cure-all. So we can't think that, ah, we're good now. No, there's so much work to still do. We all still need to be activists and work on ethics and try to normalize helping others, not making people pay for resources. If you have things to offer for free, please do that. Food, water, shelter, care. People shouldn't have to have to work for those things. Those should be basic human rights. So glad to see that happening. Also loved, loved, loved loved tracking over the weekend all the many platforms that will not support Trump. Again, that is not cancel culture. Okay, it's called accountability. It's called ethics. If a company is now allowed to deny a gay couple a cake because it's against their religious beliefs, well, then you better believe Facebook, Twitter, Google, Spotify, Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, YouTube, Twi Twitch, Reddit, and Shopify have all said, peace out, Trump. You will not sell your merch or promote your hate, violence, and bigotry on our platforms. They have a right to do that. You don't have a right. It's not a, you know, it's a privilege to utilize those things. You don't have a right to utilize those things. Those companies get to decide for themselves what they support, you know? And so I'm so thankful and happy to see that. Anywho, there that is. <laughs> Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. Based on all the things that are happening, y'all, we got to get more activistic. That is an important part of mental health. It truly is. And cultural social health. So Question of the night's up. Join in on that. DMs will be sliding into those. And we will be talking about something important, study tips whether you're a student or not, and also how to help get a loved one in a therapy. That's coming up next. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, we are talking about tips for studying. Now, <laughs> some people might be rolling their eyes going, school, <laughs> no way. P.S. I'm someone who loves school. I absolutely miss school. I, um, <clears throat> after doing a master's and I did two doctoral programs, 
I can't get enough of education. And I'm also one of those people where I read a lot. And that's kind of what made me interested in this topic and why I wanted to bring it to y'all is that I'm one of those people where I read. And a lot of the things I read are things that I really want to absorb and bring into my life and internalize and make it a tool. So I talked about this a little bit on the podcast prior to the new year. So we're going, we're going all the way back to 2020. And um, I was kind of talking about how I fit into my busy schedule, all the other important elements of my life that are meaningful. We're working very, very, very hard. <laughs> I think a lot of us, you know, even if you're at home and maybe you're currently furloughed or unemployed, you're, most of us are still doing a lot of labor, whether it's helping our loved ones with their careers or our, our children going to school or just trying to look out for our own mental health and you know keep our spaces clean. We do want to find ways to build in time to really um, you know do the things that are meaningful to us because I think that's what's part that's the part of really building a happy life but also mental health right is we get all the things done that we need to do right we have to participate in our culture and the ways that it's set up but we also want to find time to build in what's meaningful to us so that our days aren't just completely labor ridden, right? And so one of the things I was talking about in 2020 on the podcast that I do is every day I build in time for my mental health and I build in time for learning. And it doesn't take a lot of time. For me right now, because of my schedule, uh, a day's off, right? And those are the days that I can immerse myself in a, in a deeper, longer sense in terms of time. But every single day, I do a half an hour set aside for learning and a half an hour set aside for my mental health work. And sometimes those two things coincide. And when I'm doing the learning and a lot of the books I'm reading, because they're things that are important and exciting to me, things that show up in my work or my writing, I take a lot of notes in the book, but I set aside 30 minutes and I do reading that's associated with that. And that's where these tips kind of came in because some people read novels, awesome, and they're not necessarily needing to internalize anything more than maybe the experience of reading the book and the book provides the journey. But for others like myself, I read a lot of nonfiction and it's not always things that are directly related to my field, although everything I read finds its way into my clinical work, but they are things that I want to remember. And so I'm always writing notes on the front of the book. I'm writing notes at the end of each chapter. I'm writing notes on the page. I'm highlighting. So it's a really interesting personal system that I've set up. Now, for those of you that are in school or maybe going back to school or you're part of a job that has skill-based learning that's offered or mandatory, these are some of the things that were brought up. And I thought that this was really interesting because it's really talking about reading and efficiency. And it's basically looking at ways to study smarter. A lot of us think that the more time, the better. And a lot of research is showing that that's quite the opposite. For you educators out there, we now know that homework actually doesn't make people better learners and that their homework actually isn't efficient. So there's a lot of schools and teachers that no longer give homework um, or they give a smaller, 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 far smaller amount of it. And that kind of ties to the research we've also talked about on the show that came out of uh, China, where they were looking at work, uh, shorter work weeks and shorter work days. And they saw that not only did that help improve mental health and happiness, but it also was more efficient because we can only be productive for a certain amount of time every single day. And so more hours don't mean better and more work. It often leads to sloppiness, decreases in mental health, burnout, 
because we can only focus on so much. Also, that ties into the research that came out of the myth of multitasking, that you cannot actually focus fully on two things at the same time. And as you go back and forth between different projects, that transition time is actually time and energy away. You have to refocus, and you're never fully uh, connected to what's in front of you, and that it's better to do one task fully at a time. So this is kind of part of it. Because again, I'm from that old school thinking, which is, well, the more time you put in, the more, the more you'll understand, the better learning you'll do. And that's actually not true. So the first point, and hey, let's just start off running because this one's actually really, really, really big and powerful. Um, don't, ready for this, don't just reread your notes and readings. So the studies show that the first time you read something, that is when you absorb it the most. Why? Because consciously and unconsciously, you're really paying attention and focus because you're about to read something that's unfamiliar to you. And so you're really zeroed in. Now, the second time you read it, the reread, your competence and your memory, the memorization of it, drops significantly because you are now skimming. Whether you realize it or not, you're entering unconsciously with the idea of, I already know this, I already read this. And so rereading it is not as efficient as being more thoughtful in reading it the first time. That's huge because I'm from a school that we were taught read it over and over and over. But when I do think about how it is for me experientially to reread something, they're correct. I, I go into it with a very different focus. I skim. You know what I mean? I'm not sitting with it as deeply because again, the first reading of something is when we extract the most. Hear that again, the first reading is the most important. It's when you're really bringing it in. The second time you read something, the reread, you're going in with a sense of, yeah, I know this. So you're not processing it as deeply and you're not picking as much out of it. So the rereading, which is really hard for people, gives the illusion that we're learning more of the material, but in fact, we're not. And the whole point of learning is to learn. And if some, if a process of going through learning doesn't actually help you learn, well, then it's not the best way to do it, right? So they're not saying don't reread it, but they're, go they're saying inherently the first time is the most important. So rereading is not the most efficient way. Second thing they're saying is ask yourself questions because that's, what's that's what learning is really about is am I able to apply what I just read? It's not can I just repeat back what I read, but have I absorbed it and learned it, which means I can explain it. It means I can utilize this. And a technique is to read something once and then instead start quizzing yourself and asking yourself questions about what you read. Read it, close it and say, what did I just read? What were the main topics? And start explaining to yourself those main topics. Some books, if it's a textbook, have questions at the end of it. Uh, we're going to come back and we'll talk more about this. I love stuff like this. I love the concept of learning because it's something that applies to all of us. This is something that bosses can utilize, parents can utilize, teachers can utilize, students can utilize. Uh, also, Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. And uh, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about better ways to internalize, better ways to digest information, better ways to study. First one we were talking about is this whole reread concept that the more you read something, it doesn't necessarily exponentially build your 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 understanding. You don't internalize it more. The first time you read through something, you're more focused. You extract and hold on to the most. The second time, you're kind of like, I know this, you skim. And the third time it's worse, fourth time is worse as well. So that pushes us to the second tip, which is ask yourself questions. And that's how you really start to 
both internalize and really, again, be able to apply the information that you're learning. So you have to ask yourself questions about what it is you've read. What did I just read? What were the most important points? What are the key terms? What do those terms mean? And you basically close the book and have a conversation with yourself. My version of that is I do it sometimes at the end of the chapter. I'll write, what were the key points of this chapter? What are the things I want to remember? I also write them sometimes in the front of the book. My books are written all over the place. They're like workbooks. And I'll say, here are the key points. Here are the key takeaways. This is what I learned. I'll even sometimes give examples or I'll relate them to other concepts. You have to start working with it, right? That's the way you start to work with material that actually isn't something that's, hand, that's hands-on, right? So you start to ask yourself questions. Some textbooks, God bless them kind of give you questions at the end, but basically, you know, making yourself retrieve that information is what produces more robust learning and memory, not rereading it, but forcing the retrieval of it that lays it down in a more solid way. So again, it's not about rereading. It's about asking yourself questions and retrieving that information. That's what really brings it home in a more powerful way leads to better learning. Um, and, and even if you're not doing that great at retrieving things, it gives you a more honest perspective on what you know or don't know. Because if you're not able after reading something to explain parts of it, then you didn't actually really learn those parts and you should go back and reread those elements. The parts that you're able to retrieve quickly and explain, bam, you got that down, right? So again, it's about asking those questions and you're trying to explain everything. And that's what I say to myself. Imagine you're trying to teach this to a novice or an amateur or you're leading a class. How would you explain what was just read? That is the only way to really hold on to the information. You can't just read it. And <clears throat> I wish that was talked about more in school right? Where they'd say, read it once and then quiz yourself. And that's what some schools do when they have those little quizzes. But unfortunately, when a school's quizzing you and that's going to be part of your grade, that just spikes your anxiety. And it's no longer about learning. It's about testing, testing what you learned, but it doesn't give you the opportunity to go back and, and, you know, kind of go deeper in the parts that you're not really holding on to. Also, like I was saying earlier, another way to really focus on learning more is to connect all that to something you already know. And that's what I'm constantly doing when I'm learning something is I'll say, what else does this remind me of? What else does this lead to? And I kind of start to tie it all together. So if you're going to read something, read it once, great. If you're going to read it a second time, start trying to again apply those principles, right? Because the whole thing is this isn't like a little neurological, um, God, I'm, I'm, I'm watering down a massively intellectual concept. But essentially, uh, the more you fire something, the more you wire something. And so the way you keep synapses and memory strong is by constantly retrieving that information, right? The more you use it, the stronger it becomes. When we don't utilize skills or memory, those neurons die, though they weaken those connections, right? And so the more we can connect things together and apply them, the better we're going to be. Um, for also for others, a great strategy is going to also be about concretizing it, making it material. And that's going to be about drawing uh, diagrams, right? Making visuals, flow charts. That's a really active way to put the information all together. And like I said, I'm constantly writing in my books. And if there's a way to organize things in a row or on a continuum or a spectrum or some kind of symbols, I always start to bring that in. Finally, the good old flashcards. I love that where you're going through and quizzing yourself throughout the day. You know, they're a really good way of retesting yourself. Um, and a lot of people, if they answer the question correct, right, they take it and they'll sometimes, you know, if they've got it down, they'll say, let me pull that out of the deck. Not a good idea. Keep it in there. You want, you do want that repetition. You know, the ones that you're not getting are the ones you might want to focus on more, but you do want to repeatedly still encounter some of the ones that you do have down. Um, also looking at timing, don't cram, don't cram. <laughs> I know everyone's like, oh, 
And the problem with cramming is you don't have the opportunity to imply, to employ the, the repetition. And um, you'll, you'll maybe do great the next day that you'll be able to maybe retrieve it that one time, but it doesn't become knowledge or a skill set that honestly then becomes yours. So the best way is to not cram and to instead space the repetition. Practice a little bit on one day, then put your cards away. Take them out another day, maybe two days later, do it again. It's all about that spacing, right? That's reinforcing, that's repetition, that's retrieval, and that's where memory is at its most robust. So don't cram the night before, because otherwise you'll have it for the next day, but then it's gone. And then when you return to school or return to the job a week later or down the road, it's not there. So again, space it out, come back to it. Um, and the other thing, and I thought this was really beautiful, is we often go one by one by one. You'll learn a topic, get tested, and move on to a next topic. Learn about that, get tested, move on to the next one. But the better thing to do is keep recycling through. Teachers or people that are learning want to keep bringing back prior information again, even if it's just pieces of it, and circle back through it. Put the material back in front of yourself or your students in multiple ways. Bring back quizzes with prior questions. Keep circling through. Keep connecting current or future topics to past topics. Keep bringing it back around. Good stuff. <laughs> I love learning though. And I'm one of those people where I value intellect. And so I like the, the ability to kind of make this information mine. Anywho, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a question for us, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and we will answer it for you. Coming up after that, though, we're going to be talking about how to get loved ones into therapy. It's a new year. It's a big goal for a lot of people, not so much for others. And sometimes we have individuals who we think maybe could benefit from therapy but it's not something they've maybe thought about. Maybe it's not something you feel comfortable bringing up. So we're going to be talking about that later in the show and then doing our question of the night. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night. As always, it's up on our Loveline IG page. Weigh in on that. And uh, gosh, all right. Later we'll be talking about how to get loved ones, people you care about, into therapy. It's a touchy topic because sometimes people feel like you're saying, there's something wrong with you, you're broken. Um, but really, if you're not weaponizing it, which you gotta check your motives, if you are doing that, back off. But if it's really born out of concern, there are ways to talk to someone you care about, about helping them uh, feel more comfortable or helping them access resources such as therapy. So we'll be talking about how to do that. Um, also just sitting here looking at the news, just constantly watching all the new people who've been dropped for being a part of that uh, attack, terrorist attack on the Capitol, white supremacist terrorist attack, and uh, people that were pro-Trump and still supporting him. Uh, record labels are dropping people such as Ariel Pink. Label just dropped him. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what happens. That's not cancel culture, just so you all know. That's called accountability. That's called consequences. Um, people, platforms such as you know Spotify, Twitter, they're allowed to decide who utilizes and accesses what they offer, you know, and the Republicans that are mad about that, y'all are the ones that were saying it's okay for a bakery to not make a cake for gay people. So this is another form of that. Fair is fair. So if companies don't want to work with bigots. They don't have to. That's how I am. I have no interest in having any guests on that are, you know, body shaming, slut shaming, racist, you know, homophobic. I want my sort. I want anything I'm a part of to be a site for healing and uh, for everyone to feel accepted and anything that's about shaming, pathologizing or rejecting, just not the right thing for me. And I advise you all to kind of be a part of that. All right, y'all, but now it is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. 
We want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, love you and your work. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. I don't get a lot of thank yous. It means a lot. I put a lot of labor out there. Oh, feels good when it gets recognized. Um, being a therapist, being an, an activist, someone who's trying to create social change. It's a lot of work. It can be tiring. Uh, so your question says, I'm fed up with how my employers are handling COVID. But I'm a nanny and I love their two children dearly. I don't know what to do. Twice now, an older child from the husband's previous marriage and who lives in the home part-time has tested positive for coronavirus and exposed the family and in turn me as well. No one has told me anything until I'm already in the house with their kids. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's not okay. And I really wish we, would, we should be able to take some kind of action against that because I'm hearing about other organizations and companies that, aren't alerting, that are not alerting their employees to what they might have come in contact with. And that's called a lack of consent. That's a lack of good boundaries. That's also a lack of just care and compassion. If someone's coming in contact with something, regardless of what we're talking about, you have an ethical mandate to alert them to that so that they can decide whether or not they feel comfortable stepping in. And you need to have a talk with the family. Listen, my life matters. I love working for you, I love your children, but I have to look out for myself. I need you to give me a heads up if someone has been in contact with someone who's positive or someone does test positive. It's a boundary you have to set down. Um, and if they can't respect that, then they don't respect you and it's an unsafe place to work. And I'm worried about other ways that that might manifest itself, right? Because that lack of ethics and care and concern might be longer standing in other dynamics. But you have a right to take care of yourself. Your physical and mental health are mandates. They are primary, that's foundational. So again, you have a right to demand that you are made aware of anything you possibly are coming in contact with. Um, and this is something families have to talk about. And it's a difficult conversation, but I'm working with some families where it's hard for them to say that to the ones that they cohabitate with, roommates, family members. Everyone has to be on the same page and feeling comfortable and following the same rules and regulations so everyone knows whether or not maybe they need to move out or need to spend less time with someone. So I'm supporting all people that come in contact with others to talk about this because it's not just who you're directly coming in contact with it's also who the people you're coming in contact with are coming in contact with themselves right it has a domino effect and so we do need to talk about these things and people are talking about their bubbles that's a that's an honor honor system thing um i'm seeing a lot of people kind of stretching that truth and stepping into gray areas so you know, again, set that boundary. It's an act of care and compassion. If they can't fall through with that, then like, I'm just worried about your safety outside of that and the respect they have for you beyond that as well. Not to mention their own damn kids. Who would let someone come into their home that's tested positive and be around their children? That is problematic to me, but that's a topic for another day. Slide the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms, because it's the big old sex world, and we want you to explore with confidence. Coming up next, talking about how to get loved ones in a therapy. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, we're talking about getting, well, helping. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a guarantee, but... How do we help someone access and get into therapy that maybe we think could benefit from it? I think back to when I was in high school, you know, and it was part of where I was living, but it was also the time where no one talked about therapy. No one I knew had a therapist. And it was something that was very hush-hush. It was something that you kind of kept to yourself because it implied that something was wrong. And I'm so thankful that we live in a different time. I mean, I'm out here in California where everyone is very open about their therapist. Everyone out here is in therapy because they're like, look, whether I have insurance or I don't, I make use of it in whatever way I can. Why not access something? It's only going to benefit for, uh, benefit me. And 
I'm, my heart is so warmed. Even over the holidays, I was watching how many celebrities are now talking about mental health struggles. And uh, we'll talk more about who they are and what they're talking about. Um, maybe on another segment a little bit deeper. You know, we're always kind of sprinkling throughout. We talked a little bit about at the opening. But um, it's normalizing. You know, it makes people more comfortable and familiar hearing about it. Remember, all the one of the things we keep talking about is that you want to normalize it. That uh, it's something that's okay to talk about. That it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you as a parent or a boss or a loved one, that it's, we all have mental health struggles. All of us, we will all at some point struggle, maybe not to the extent others have, but we will all encounter depression, anxiety, confusion, small traumas, big traumas, uh, maybe issues with our relationship to drugs, alcohol, our bodies, right? So I'm glad that it's something people are talking more about because remember, the more you talk about it, it normalizes others' ability to acknowledge it, to talk about it. Some people aren't even aware that maybe they're struggling with their mental health until it's discussed and they go, oh my God, that sounds like me. So sharing that you're in therapy, talking about the benefit it's having for you, talking about you know your daily struggles are really, really important, uh, even for someone like me. Now, the, the, the concern's always, what will people think if I talk about our mental health struggles? Well, some people might hold it against you, and that's unfortunate. Others will say, wow, that person's a human. I'm glad they're healthy enough to know what's going on. I'm more worried about those that aren't acknowledging it or working on it. Those that are like, look, here's what's going on. I'm getting help. I'm like, great. I know something positive is going to come from that. But those that are struggling silently, mm, change isn't going to happen. It does not happen on its own. Time does not heal everything. Uh, time can sometimes allow things to perpetuate and get worse and amplify and complexify. I, I don't feel that way. Time does not heal all things. It's what you do in time that matters. And so we're normalizing the use of mental health. So some of us are moving through the world thinking, wow, I have someone in my life that maybe could benefit from it. How do I bring that forward? Because we don't ever want to make someone feel bad or shamed. And just because you're comfortable or confident in seeking therapy or being in therapy, it doesn't mean the other is. And so we want to always approach it from the understanding that we don't know what their relationship is with the concept of therapy or therapist, right? So not everyone's going to be comfortable maybe opening up about whatever they're struggling with. So you got to kind of start there. How close are you to this person? And that's a question I ask for a lot of disclosures or a lot of conversations. If you're trying to have a very personal, intimate relationship and it has not been built that way thus far, you need to work on that maybe first. Um, out of the blue, <laughs> if this is someone where things are usually more casual, more superficial, it might be overwhelming or not feel safe for you to swoop in and just be very deep, present, honest, and vulnerable and open. Maybe it will. You know, Maybe they've wanted that and sought that and can tolerate that or have that with others. But you have to assess that first right? What kind of relationship do I have with this person? Are they someone who will hear such a thing from me, right? Because I even brought that up, and this is maybe a weird example, but I bring it up when people want to come out. Is this person someone you've had a close relationship with, or do you maybe want to work on other disclosures first so that they feel safer in such a thing? So you want to always approach it from that understanding, right? Where is this person in relationship to that? But then also doing it with love and care because, you know, therapy is not something that should be used or should not be weaponized. It should not be penalizing. It should not be, you know, if you don't get into therapy, this is ending or there's something wrong with you. Therapy isn't a tool for anything other than healing. And the people entering it have to be open and seeing it that way. And that's why I'm absolutely opposed, 
absolutely opposed to court-ordered treatment because treatment doesn't work like that. Therapists aren't part of the legal system, the criminal justice system, and I don't want to be. We're healers, and we want to be available to those that want healing. And if they're not, I don't want to work with them. No one should be forced in. It doesn't work that way. Uh, if you lead a horse to water, will it sometimes drink? Sometimes. And other times it'll complexify and make things worse because they feel powerless and helpless and uh, you've taken their agency away. Everyone should feel like they have control and agency over their lives. And so this conversation is about you just offering an option and they choose what they choose. And then you decide what you wanna do based on what they choose. But you should never strong arm or ultimatum someone into treatment or therapy. You can recommend it, you can let them know what you'll do whether if they don't, but you can't force them in. And that's part of just healthy boundary setting. Hey, it's important that I'm dating someone who's treating their mental health issues or addiction issues. Um, it'd be meaningful if you'd get into therapy. If not, I understand, but I can't be in a relationship with someone that's not working on it. That's how you get to set a boundary and take care of yourself. But you can't force someone in because that's not going to be good therapy. So we'll talk a little bit more about getting someone you love into treatment, uh, especially because it's the new year. So a lot more people are open to that. We'll talk about that when we come back. But uh, question night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. And then we'll be closing out the show by sliding into those DMs. But when we come back, we will be talking a little bit more about getting loved ones into therapy. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about getting people we love and care about into therapy. And the point I was trying to make on the front end is setting boundaries is important, but setting boundaries is about us saying what we will allow or what we'll do or not do. Setting boundaries is not about telling someone else what they have to do. Therapists are not part of legal enforcement of the criminal justice system. I don't want to ever be. We are healers. We are here for people that want to access and engage in that process. And all you can do is lovingly recommend that to someone right? With love. Always approach it with love and care. And uh, if they're hesitant, that's okay. We'll talk more about what you can do. But you want to also explain to them why you think it is that they need to seek help. You know, this is where all of the tools we talk about on Loveline kind of circle back. You want to start knowing or trying to build relationships where you can share with someone what it's like to be in a relationship with them. You know, like, hey, it's been really difficult, you know, in our friendship the past couple of months. It really looks like you're struggling. You know, I want to I want to talk about how we can help or what help is available. So, again, it's love and caring, but it's also start moving into why you think it might benefit them. Right. But it's also okay to let them know how their behavior is impacting you. That, that's not just a motivating force. That's also part of having a really transparent, vulnerable, intimate relationship. Hey, your drinking's really taken over during COVID and quarantining. And it's been really hard on me because you're not present, you're not available, or you tend to get very aggressive and it scares me. It's okay and important to say that. Again, you want to build relationships with people where you can talk like that. Healthy people want to know how they're impacting others. Healthy people want to be given an opportunity to change their behavior. They can't do that if you don't tell them. And I think one of the more toxic things is to never tell them and to just then get frustrated and cut them out. That's horrible. You always want to take a couple moments to share with them what you're struggling with so that they can decide they want to work with it. And it's not a conversation that's just had once. It's something that maybe is done more than once, but you want to let them know what's going on, right? And they might bring up some concerns about therapy. It might be foreign to them. They might not understand the process is like, it might be a financial issue. You have to be willing to talk to them about that. Share with them your experience of therapy. Share them how it's helped you, right? And then also it's about helping them sometimes find or access treatment because when someone's upset, overwhelmed, struggling with anxiety, depression, substance abuse, whatever it is, they sometimes do need someone to help them. It's not enabling. I don't use words like enabling. I don't, and I don't believe in concepts like rock bottom. 
uh, rock bottom also often leads to things getting worse or someone um, dying. We do need people. Community and others are what we need to rely upon, and I want people to be there. And so if someone's reaching out, you be there for them however you can. Yeah, help them pay their bills. Help them stay fed. Help them have a warm place to stay. Some people will be dealing with their mental health issues or their addiction for the rest of their lives. And that doesn't mean we throw them away or kick them out or get rid of them. We help them to the extent we can. We set boundaries, but we offer services. We try to help them get their basic needs met. They're a human. And part of that might be helping them find a therapist. Maybe you go online and give them some resources. Hey, here's a few people that maybe you want to give a call to or, or look into. Or hey, here's a website I found. Um, a lot of great therapy finding websites. All therapists these days have a website. Um, might talk a little bit about their work, you know. Some of them are in the media like myself, and you can read their books, listen to their podcasts, get a sense of how they work, help them find a good match, because that's important. Um, but it's okay to help them through the process. I, again, I don't agree with saying, you're an adult, you know how to use the internet, go off on it. It just doesn't work like that. It's okay to partner with someone and to be there and to hold their hand and to help them through. That is an act of love and care. And so I wanna let people know that that's okay. Um, and it's not always gonna be a one-off. You have to be patient and have the right expectations. It's not gonna be a one conversation and then the person starts treatment or therapy the next day and then that's all it is. Sometimes it's a block that we have to circle through a few times and we have to be open to that built into the model of change is relapse it's built in like a sidestep in the model of change it's a circle all the different stages that happen as we're working on changing a behavior we expect backward behavior no one makes a commitment to a new behavior whether it's whatever it is um and just exponentially keep positively growing and enhancing or sticking with it. There will be times where we back away or take a break from something, fall off the horse. That's okay. That's not a sign of failure. That's actually a part of that process. So we expect that. And that's going to be part of this as well. Because remember, we're up against cultural cultural elements where there are some generations where therapy was seen as a crutch or for people that are quote unquote broken. Um, there's also racial pieces in there where there's some you know, individuals that are exploited and marginalized and have never felt like therapy is something that's accessible to them, or they've never thought that, you know, a therapist could look like them or understand them. And so it might be important to find someone who's maybe larger bodied, a body positive therapist so that there's no fat phobia, maybe find someone gay, gay therapist. So they feel as though they'll be per, you know, perfectly related to, uh, people that are black or of color might want to find a black therapist so that they really understand systemic and institutional racism and how that impacts our mental health. We do want to be intersectional in our thinking. Whatever the multiple identities are that this person has, you might want to help them find a therapist who can work with and align with some of that, you know? And those are kinds of things we want to consider. Also, what is the therapist's expertise? You know, me as a sex therapist, shoot, I had to go through three to five years of training to get a certification. You know, that's not something that came in our normal training. And so you do want to look for specialists, people that focus exclusively on what these issues are. You know, I work a lot with addiction, body image, uh, sex, gender, relationship. That's my specialty. And I'm an expert and a scholar in that. But there's things that I'm not. Um, I, I don't work with all mental health struggles. And no therapist could or does. Right? We can't possibly be an expert or scholar in everything. It just doesn't work like that. But they might need your help in understanding that, in researching that. And so just be willing to be there for them. Because sometimes it's not even about whether or not they go into therapy. Sometimes it's not the content of these conversations. It's the process that you sat down and showed that you cared enough to talk to them. And that might be healing. Just, that often is healing in and of itself. You've now let them know, I'm someone who can have these honest conversations with you. 
and it helps your relationship. It lets them know someone cares. And that's really important. So um, it's a new year, you know, focus on kind of internalizing and being these people. Uh, question night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. And uh, if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, they are over at wearechannelq.com. And uh, I'm listening live is also on all the radio.com handles. So you can check that out. And then uh, we'll be closing out with a DM. So if you've got a question for us, it's probably something other people have struggled with or struggled with or thought about. Drop it in our DMs on our Loveline IG page. All right, coming up next, though, question of the night. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right. Hey, did y'all know alcohol? Some studies are showing this came out eh, just last week that alcohol can reduce the effectiveness of the COVID vaccine. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> oh, we're not allowed to have nice things. Why can't we have nice things? Oh my gosh. I remember early COVID when we were hearing all sorts of to do's and not to do's. Now we know you don't need to be bleaching all the things that come into your home. We're not worried about contact surface contact. We're worried now about the air, the droplets in the air, but that's another one. Yeah. The alcohol thing, y'all, you gotta be paying attention to that. Alcohol is just not good for you. Let's just say that (laughs) you want the, uh, benefits of wine, eat the grapes, you know, uh, eat fermented foods, but yeah, alcohol has a lot of detrimental effects, although it can for some people be a coping mechanism when used appropriately. Hey, it also can add some fun to the party. I'm a non-drinker, um, so that's something that's not a part of my life. I don't enjoy it. it creates a lot of problems. Staying away from that bad boy. Um, but yeah, might be getting in the way of the COVID vaccine. So you got to do a little more research, dig into who that, what that means, how much that means, and who that impacts. But we got to be paying attention to those things. Look, we're still learning about those vaccines. Although looking at the people that have gotten them um, immediately, they're doing well. Everyone's doing well. I haven't seen any massive symptoms. I have a bulk of people in my life that have gotten it that are uh, healthcare workers, mental health and healthcare in other ways. Um, And uh, they're doing fine. You know, the next day, some of them are having a little bit of pain at the injection site, uh, some muscle uh, stiffness and soreness, but only for a few hours, kind of ebbing and flowing, but uh, it's totally tolerable. And hey, if it saves your life, you can't beat that, right? All right, y'all. Now it's time for question of the night. Tonight's question of the night is, according to Statista, 44% of Americans say their New Year's resolution is to exercise more. 44%. 42% want to eat healthier, 35% well, excuse me, 35% want to spend more time with friends and family, and 30% want to cut back on their spending. So the question of the night is, do you believe that New Year's resolutions are actually helpful or are they hurtful? My perspective is at any time you can decide that you want to make some changes. It's important sometimes to have a vision of what you're working towards. It's also how you assess whether or not you're actually doing the work, right? So having measurable goals is often really important. It's not enough to just say, I'm working on my mental health. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do you assess that? So you need to have specific targets, right? So when I'm working with clients, they have targeted behaviors that they're working on. And then we can assess, well, how is that going? So you don't want to just very vaguely generalize because then it's easy to not be attuned to that. But sometimes it can be hurtful if you're setting goals that are beyond what's doable and you're also maybe not even checking in on the mental health around it. Some people will make these big grand goals and I'll say, well, in the context of your life and other things that are important or meaningful, that actually might not be achievable. And so you have to make sure that it's realistic. We only have so much energy and focus in our day. And I have some clients that are working these long days and on top of that, they're tacking out these workouts and all these other things. And I'm saying that's too much, that's depleting and it's negatively going to impact 
every element of your life, thereby removing the positives that that could have given you. So we have to be a little thoughtful and contextualized. So again, the question tonight is, do you think New Year's resolutions are actually helpful or hurtful? First person said, I think they're helpful, but most people aren't able to continue the plan throughout the whole year. That's right. And that's why maybe you got to set them smaller targets. Maybe it's not for the entire year. Maybe it's for the month or three months. And then you check in and say, how can I apply that to the next three months or the next month? Do I need to tweak it somehow? Because our lives change and what might be doable on January one might not be doable in March because of new things that have occurred. Things might get easier. Things might get harder. So I think it's okay to have flexibility. We struggle with that as humans. We want it black and white, hard, rigid, get goals and boundaries. But we have to have flexibility where there'll be times where we can stick to that schedule. And that doesn't mean we failed. That means our lives lives changed or our mental health needs changed and we have to accommodate for that. Somebody else said, I've already broken mine, so they aren't helpful. <laughs> oh, bless. I've already broken the ones that I casually set for myself as well. My life is already pretty full of all, my life is the way I actually already kind of want it to be. And so I didn't really, there's nothing I wanted to work on per se. Um, I'm still working on a lot of the same things, but yes, I'm with you on that. Uh, question of the night for those that are joining us now, do you believe the new year's resolutions are actually helpful or hurtful? Someone said this year, <laughs> new year's resolutions seem kind of silly because we can't do a lot of the stuff we want to do, like go to the gym, maybe see friends or see family. Yep. I hear that. <laughs> Some of your news resolutions have to be put on hold until the, the world opens up again. Uh, but that's okay. Take this time to rest, to heal, to focus on joy, pleasure. Um, it's okay to set a goal and say, look, I'll start that in the summer. Right now, it's just not feasible. So my New Year's resolutions will start in June, July, or August. That's okay. You know, again, we have the entirety of our lives. We don't need to follow these arbitrary calendar, you know, year by year. So remember that. You get to decide how these need to fit into your life. Uh, someone else said, every, year, every other year, they're helpful except for 2020 and 2021. That's right. <laughs> in more standard years, maybe those are doable, but last year and this year, we're just kind of uh, taking it day by day as it comes, you know? Question tonight, do you believe New Year's resolutions are helpful or hurtful? Someone said, me and my family. We try this thing where we make New Year's resolutions for each other and see how long we can last. I like that, actually. I'd love to set them for other people. I never thought of that or heard that. I love that. Uh, you continue to say, my sister said she wanted me to go on at least two trips this year. So we'll see how that goes. See, that's a cool one, right? I actually like that. Um, motivate you, but that's a positive one. I like that. It's not a restrictive one. I like resolutions that are positive facing, right? They're not restrictive based because that's just necessarily not going to meet our mental health needs. And we'll kind of close out on this one. Someone said, I always start out so strong, but can't follow through past January. <laughs> Well, at least you get that one month in there. God bless. You got to tweak it a little bit. All right, coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. The DMs come from our Loveline IG page. Drop your questions on in there. And as you see, we read them confidentially and anonymously. All right, this one's a long one, so put your seatbelts on for a minute. Uh, this one asks, uh, Dear Dr. Chris and Loveline, most recently, the mom was completely... Oh, wait a second. This is... I'm sorry. This is from the earlier DM. I didn't realize there was more to this. Oh my gosh. All right, let's jump back in. So what they asked in the earlier segment was someone was saying that I'm a nanny and my employers are um, letting an older child from a previous marriage who's tested positive for coronavirus come over. 
and I answered that, but I didn't realize there's more. So we're going to go back into part two. Most recently, the mom was completely unfazed and was still going into work. Okay, see, I'm nervous. They sound like Trump supporting anti-maskers. Um, and they own a popular restaurant in town. You got to get out of this job. These people sound like they do not give a crap about their impact on other people. Uh, you said, and this is your question still, I'm pissed because I feel like they're putting me in the uncomfortable position of having to say to their faces, I'm not comfortable with being here when you've been exposed. And then they can call me the jerk for choosing not to work. I'm so worried about what happens to the kids and their mental health. If I, if I were to quit, um, I'm so worried about what happens to the kids in mental health. They changing schools, pandemic, not seeing their friends and family, switching to virtual learning. I cannot even imagine what losing a nanny who they've clearly bonded with. Listen, I'm going to cut you off. It doesn't matter. I, I understand all the reasoning as to how it might be hard on the kids. That's the parent's responsibility. I love that you're looking out for them. Your mental and physical health matters. These people sound horrible. They're going to work. They've been exposed. They're letting someone who doesn't live in the nuclear home come into the house who's been tested positive twice. They have children. This is offensive. You got to get out of there. I, I, I can't imagine that outside of this all as well, seriously. And for those that are listening, don't put people in these positions, people that are working for you. Take care of those that you come in contact with, your family members, your friends, employees. Yeah, I'm not down with this, I'm sorry. Yeah, you gotta get out of there. All right, let's go into the next question. Um, the next one says, oh, sorry, give me a question. Dear Dr. Chris, I read an article that says fascism is a fetish. Oh, racism is a fetish, sorry. I don't know what's going on with my reading tonight. I read an article that says racism can be a fetish and that people are actually going out of their way to role play racism. Is this a real thing? Please tell me it's not. It is. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's something I would never be comfortable partaking in, right? Um, because for me, <laughs> I'm actively always trying to dismantle that in myself and in the world. And it wouldn't be erotic for me. And my stance on sex is it's okay to do things for other people that turn them on, that feel comfortable and safe to you. It might not be something you're interested in, but it feels comfortable and safe to you. That does not feel comfortable or safe for me. And I, my, my mental health always matters in anything I do sexually. So if someone I was with who was black wanted to, to get into some racism, some race plays, the race fetish, I'd say, I'm sorry, I'm not the right partner for you. That's something that's not comfortable to me. Um, but yes, it does exist, and there are people that have written about it, and there are people that are interested in that and are aroused by that, and it's about power play, and for many, it's about turning something that's been disempowering and destructive into something where they, they're choosing it, they're setting the frame, it's empowering for them, and many things that are taboo can have arousal built into it. So yes, this is actually a thing. And I know some people are shaking their heads. I'm with y'all. It's not for me, but you know, other people get to do what makes sense to them as long as it's consensual and the person of color is interested in that. But again, I personally am not, so I wouldn't be willing to engage in that. There's a lot of things I'm not willing to engage in. I'll engage in things that are within my ethics, within my politics and feel comfortable to me. I'm willing to do things that aren't necessarily something I'm fully turned on by for someone else, but something like race play would be highly problematic for my own psyche and possibly for the other person, but not always. And so that's at the decision of others, consent, consent and impact. How's this impact me? How's this impact others? Are we all aware of what's gonna happen? And then there you go. I know, rough stuff. All right, y'all, that are, that's our DMs and that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow and tomorrow we'll be talking about mental health and all the celebrities that have come out talking about their mental health struggles. And that's powerful because it normalizes, it gives us language, makes us feel like we're not alone. 
builds community. So we'll be talking about that question night for tomorrow's up on our Love Line IG page. So weigh in on that. And if you want to check out past episodes of Love Line, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Please spend the rest of your day focusing on rest, joy, and some pleasure. Lots and lots of self-care. Y'all have a great night. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you tomorrow.